I'm Sarah. I am queer. That's um, what I have identified as for the last couple of years. I came out um, as bisexual in college when I first got to college. And just through the years, I've realized that myself and my sexuality and just the way I walk through the world is so much more complicated than just one label. And so I've, in the last two-ish years, I've gotten more comfortable with being able to say that I am queer and say that out loud. Um, right now I'm based in Alabama. I'm originally from Alabama. I just graduated from Point Park in Pittsburgh, PA, and I'm moving to Austin, Texas pretty soon. Over the last year because of COVID, I completely had to shift mediums. Like there was no, no way to do anything live. And so I've sort of like dipped my toe into the world of like filmed art and what that means. And since doing that, I think I fully realized that I, I'm just a performance artist and I just want to create queer and other identifying people aren't properly represented in media. And I think that, especially for someone who doesn't belong to that community, what can be done to kind of be more inclusive? And, and I mean, in your opinion, because it's across the board, it's not just film and um, things like that. It's even music and stage performance and everything far in between. So what do you think is like, I don't know, the next step in trying to be inclusive. As artists, you would think that the empathy that runs through our veins would be like a catalyst for change in and of itself. Like the fact that we respect and care for human existence in all of its forms, like that would be reflected in the professional industry and who we like who we are in the art that we're creating but it's the complete opposite and i think that's one of the first things to like notice is that is to get rid of this notion that just because we're artists we are good people that care about everyone because they're just it, like the same people who are the heads of every industry like they all are are people who don't really care about us uh, like any of us truly and I, I think it's just so important that we have that discussion that like just because we are people like creative people um, that doesn't give us the excuse to not try to be better and I truly just think it's conversation like it's the willingness to question things like like I said like people just assume that I'm going to walk into this theater and I'm as a gay person I'm going to be treated with the utmost respect if not better than I'm treated on the street but that's not often true often that's the exact opposite of what actually happens like if I walk into a, um, a creative space and I'm not respected and accepted like there needs to be a conversation about that and even if it means I lose my job I I, I don't know I obviously every situation is so tricky we just stop letting them walk all over us like fuck these old people who are, have been artistic director directors for decades like they're not making they're making theater and art for the old white people who have been paying their checks for decades they're not making art for us and the only way i think we're going to change um this industry is just to make the art on our own truly right. is like if you want to see yourself up there you got to make it I think that's a lot of what millennials and Gen Zs are realizing across the board for anything, not even in the arts. It's everywhere. If we want to see change, it's like, okay, if you're not going to cooperate, we'll do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened with protests. That's what happened with, you know, I mean, bring it back to Stonewall, the Stonewall riots 52 years ago. That was kind of the same sort of situation if, you know, 
we'll do it ourselves. Absolutely. We'll mm-hmm. bring our own pride. And that's where pride came from. Even though that was 52 years ago, it's still going to be something that is prevalent today. And I think, you know, we saw Gen Z throwing, you know, things at the police at riots. And you're like, I would have never done that. And our parents would have never done that. And I think that, you know, we're evolving into yeah. strange, scary little creatures that won't take any, any shit. It's interesting. Um, but bringing it to the Stonewall, I think it's interesting to talk about how different communities celebrate pride because we, when we think of pride, we think of, you know, parades in the streets and partying and things like that, but that's not always how everyone celebrates. And I was gonna, or wondering how you, how you celebrate pride and kind of what it means to you. Unfortunately enough, I have never experienced the month of pride outside of this wretched state. Um, (laughs) Somehow every summer I have ended up here. And I think, I think that's interesting just because I, I've never experienced the parades, which sucks in some ways, but at the same time, like, that feels so commercial now. This is just the same old evil white people profiting off um, our existence, point blank. And so I, over the last couple of years, I, I've just kind of I guess been sitting and thinking during Pride Month, especially being here, about like what it what it means to be someone who who is queer and is not like I'm not I'm open to out to all of my friends and like I'm not hiding it from anyone like I'm not purposefully not coming out to anyone but I'm also like not everyone here in Alabama and at home knows just because very religious um, community especially my family and stuff and so I. I have spent a lot of my months of pride sort of in the closet all over again, even though I had spent so many years out, not being able to have that like overly excited commercial version of pride has allowed me to like just contemplate truly deeply what queerness is. Yes, I'm queer, but that's not all I am. Mm -hmm. And the world like at who I am, I'm not seen first as like a queer person. And there are other people who are like, they're immediately looked upon with just hate. Yeah. Do you think that your experience not and what you said, do you think that it's kind of more inward pride than it is external pride? How do you think that affects the people around you and how they, I mean, not just like strangers, but your family and friends, how do they sort of do they celebrate pride with you in that way I think it has fostered this really interesting growth like oh I have been able to like pay attention to the way I've changed from freshman year to now like just post like first post-grad and I'm seeing the ways that I have like found myself in the world and how just as much as like going off and being in Pittsburgh and being in a very, very openly and proud queer community while also having these moments of like coming back home and realizing and seeing like the people that, like I have so many queer friends here who like just seeing how they interact in the world versus how my friends in Pittsburgh get to interact in the world. And like, it's just such a privilege to be able to like walk outside and not have people stare at you. And so I, it, it just like, it almost sobers me just a little because I get caught up in the, like the excitement when I'm in places that aren't Alabama. And I realize like my younger brother, he, he came out way before I did. Like I've known my whole life that he was gay. And so like I, I see him. And even though like 
like my experience growing up in high school was such a different queer experience than it is now. Like I knew maybe two gay people in high school. That's all. And now I see Jackson, my little brother, like all, he has an entire friend group of queer people. And it is just so reassuring to see like, like contemplating this idea of queerness and turning that contemplation into conversation leads to change. The fact that I, Jackson felt like he could come to me as a child and be like, I think I like boys. And for him to be able to hear from an older sister, like that's okay. Like no matter what anyone else tells you, that is 1000% okay. That has given him the power to be able to be there for his friends who want to come out to him and it's just like a chain I really think it is like you have to it's 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 like the rule like you treat other people how you want to be treated like right. help the people around you like let the people who need to to come and talk about like what it is to be queer for them to accept that and to listen and to not judge it and just let that understand that there's so much more existence in this world than just your existence. And I think that's one of like, probably the number one thing I've learned about um, just like celebrating pride being here in the South is that everyone's queer existence is different. And that's what makes queerness so beautiful, I think. That's really beautiful. And I think that I see a lot of people, you know, going to pride or posting things about pride because of the partying, the drinking and things like that. And that bothers me because for me, I'm not in a place, I'm in Jackson, Tennessee. There's mm -hmm. not a pride parade. There's not a pride parade in Nashville, I'm sure. There's not one in Memphis. I'm not near that sort of like uh, community. And there's definitely not a community like that, I'm sure in Florence where there's a pride parade. How is it, you know, truly effective for people that don't belong to the community to go to this pride parade to just drink and have fun with their friends um and then what part of that is performative and then also on social media because i see that as well like how does that make you if you have anyone in your life that does that or that you've noticed what does yeah. that feel like for you it feels like in the last two years in certain places like gay is cool now and so as a straight person if you like gay people that gives you social clout which is so frustrating because not 10 years ago those same people were the bullies in school who were like calling you the f word and like making fun of your clothes and just truly just taunting and terrorizing you and at one, a part of me always tries to be like yeah people can change and people want to try to do better but as we've seen in the last year and a half, there is a clear difference between personal change and the change you flaunt on Instagram. I think now more than ever, it is easy to tell who is genuine and who is not on social media. And so I do feel like it's a way to like, I am warned of this person. This is a person I do not want to interact with because you can tell that it's very, very surface level. During, you know, May of last year, June, July, mm -hmm. during the protests, I definitely felt myself deleting friends and noticing how people behave and being like, okay, I thought you were an ally and you're not. Mm -hmm. I cannot, you know, fill my page with things like that. But I had another friend that mentioned and I interviewed her for another thing. And she 
said that she was the type that she won't delete people. If you have an opposing idea, she won't delete you. She wants to know how your mind works and why you think that way or why you're mm -hmm. posting a square and then still doing the behavior that you're doing. Do you think that that's more, yeah. you know, which side do you think is more uh, mm -hmm. productive towards change or is either side more productive than the other? I think this is actually something that I've had a conversation with my mom over and over again, because like, obviously like old people are basically on Facebook and that's just kind of all they're on. And she's like constantly complaining about how like the idea that every time you delete somebody that you don't agree with, you're creating an echo chamber. You're creating like, you're filtering what you see and you're only seeing what you wanna see. I think it's important to realize that the line between someone disagreeing with you and someone hating you for who you are truly, I think, I just think that line is more apparent than people think. If someone's sharing articles that you don't agree with, that's one thing. If someone is fully just putting up a fake front all over social media and you know exactly what they're doing behind the scenes, block them, absolutely. But I think it's also interesting, like there are certain people in the world who like, if they are sharing these like articles you disagree with, that might be an entryway of conversation. There are people who have their minds made up. And if you disagree with them, you're not gonna change their mind. You're not, you're just gonna torture yourself. Like you have to, you have to know what connections are there that are mendable and the people you can change and you can influence. But you also have to know the people that you can't and you can't waste your time. That's what I've asked since talking to her. That's kind of what I've realized is that it does if, like for me, I need to delete people for her. She's open to talking. She's open to just watching how it plays out. Um, and cause I think in the moment I was like, well, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be deleting people, but I think you're right. It is. It depends on how you're comfortable and how you want your social media to be handled because it's yours. Switching gears again, because I think you, you said crucified and it brought up a question, but it has nothing to do with being crucified. <laughs> being in Alabama, being in sort of Bible Belt, Bible Belt adjacent, mm -hmm. um, have you struggled at all with religion or been like, did you grow up in a religious household or in the church or anything like that? And how is that? Because I know some people in that community are still, you know, they still go to church and that's still something that they believe in, but then there's other people that can't step foot in it because of whatever reason. How has that affected you in any way? So I grew up Church of Christ, which is, I don't, you might've heard of it, I don't know, but it's a very, very strict, like we follow the letter of the law. We like, we don't use instruments because they didn't have instruments. We don't have a like, gym or a kitchen in our church because they didn't have those like it's a very very strict world and I grew up I the first 10 years of my life I was going to church with my grandparents they would pick us up every um Sunday and then about halfway through my life my mom started going to church again and so she's very deeply religious these days and since going to college I have found myself drift so far away from the church solely for two reasons. One, their hatred for women and their hatred for gay people. It is just so apparent, especially in the congregation that I grew up in. Like, like it just, it bothered me from such an early age. Like you, I was in this class 
in middle school it was so basically I was the only girl my age for like two years of like Sunday school and there were a bunch of boys and so they created this like class where they wanted to teach them how to lead worship and I I was just upset like I was like I'm completely left out just because I have a vagina like why does God really fucking care that we have different parts and so I came to my mom and I was like this makes me mad and she was like okay we'll go to the church and we'll get you in and so they got me in the class and I quite literally was tormented from day one like I would wear a hat and every single boy would take it they would make so much fun of me and it just it beat me down and it got so deep into my existence and like formed so so much of how I viewed myself for so long like even though like intellectually I understood that everyone is equal no person is better than another person I had been able to talk like this church had talked me into internalizing the idea that I was less than and I believed it and the day I will never forget this the day I realized that yo all these bitches are lying to me I was in this class and a, it, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember this. We had like, it was like a question and answer day because we, the teacher who's supposed to teach wasn't there. And so it was a guest teacher. And he was like, well, I'll just answer some of your questions. What questions do you have about the Bible? And so this kid, he was like, like trembling with fear. Like he needed to ask this question because he was so scared. He was like, if I am on my way to the church like I'm in my car driving and I have told God that I want to be saved and that I believe in him and I'm on my way to get baptized and I get in a car crash and I die will I go to hell and this old ass man looked this seventh grader in the eye and said yes you will go to hell and I was like okay this is all wrong you are not God you are only a person who is reading a book that is centuries and centuries old and you're interpreting an answer and you're telling this kid that it is like known fact and that truly like it broke the the delusion like I just realized I was like this is not it and so I've since then I have like pushed against the church and I've given my mom such a hard time over the years like I refuse to be a part of the youth group like I I was like sorry I'm a theater kid I have to go hang out with theater people like I can't hang out with church people like that was my excuse I just every way I could say I don't want to be a part of this without saying I don't believe in God I did and through the years like I've come to have my own beliefs like my own spiritual beliefs but my natural inclination at a younger age was to question like I was such a curious kid like I wanted to know everything like I was reading everything I was doing everything and I felt squashed once I started going to church and especially when they started separating us into boys and girls. And it was like, every time I had a question or I wanted to ask, like, I was like, oh, like, I can't ask that. Like, they'll think I don't believe in God. And if they think I don't believe in God, they'll send me to hell right now. And after the delusion was finally broken, I was broken. I was like, wait, like, this has affected me on such a deep level. And it's taken me so long and I'm still not like over so much of the trauma of the church, but I just think that that thing, like the idea, the willingness and the instinct to question is something, if you have that in you, you have to protect it because there will be people of all, all backgrounds who will try to squash that just so they can control you. And I think that's, 
I'm now rambling about <laughs> the church, but I just, I just think it's so important to question and to question leads to conversation and conversation leads to better self-awareness. Like, and I think that's, that's the number one thing that the church wants to like stomp out of like queerness is like you, like God says this is wrong and therefore you must work to fix it about yourself instead of like, well, why do you God thinks this is wrong. Like, if I was able to say when someone was preaching these verses to me, well, why? Like, can you give me a reason? Can we look at other verses? Maybe, like, if you just, it is so frustrating to watch these, like, Protestant and, like, denominational churches pick and choose the verses that they want to use against you. But the moment you flip the Bible back on them and use verses, different verses, to counteract the verses they used, you're wrong. Like they're, you're using God's word in the wrong way, which is just so, so, so frustrating. But I also think that, like I see my mom who is so deeply religious and it's such a personal aspect of her life and it gives her hope and it gives her like the will to live truly. If that works for you, it's, it's, it's just getting hard for me to like, reckon with that because it feels like there is such a divide especially with the the political politicalization of the church almost like since I've been home I've been having to go to like worship services and it's just it's almost frightening the way these preachers will like mask their cert like like political blatant political ideas like you're speaking trump language and you're just covering it with bible verses and you're being discreet it's hard for me to to say that fully because there are there are good people in the church and like i don't know i just think it's it's also interesting to come to look at like the way the church exists in the south versus the way it exists everywhere else like there's such like a vehement like need to like convert and make sure everyone is the best Christian they could ever be which is just yeah, it's very different in the north you're right yeah it's not, it's not um I guess a personality trait to be yeah in certain sure. areas especially I think something that's important that you brought up before when you were talking about your experience was that you are able to sort of walk out of your house <clears throat> in whatever clothes you want to wear and you aren't being looked at as queer immediately. Um, or you don't have, you have a privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. What is, I mean, not what is your experience, but there are definitely, African-American queer people who don't have that privilege and are also being killed for that and hurt and abused and neglected for just being themselves or trying to be themselves. Mm -hmm. um, as a white queer person, how do you, you know, how do you want to help those that really can't help themselves. All they do is just exist and it's a problem for other people. And that kind of plays into, I guess, the church, but like, what is your involvement in that? And do you think that you have an involvement? As a like blonde white girl, like no one is going to like overtly enact violence on me. And so I think I almost, sometimes I almost feel like I do have a responsibility to like, when I see hate, like 
when I hear these people at church say these things, I feel like it's my responsibility to to tell them that, maybe not tell them that they're wrong, but to confront them. Like, I know they're not going to hurt me, so maybe I can, I can enact the change that will slowly but surely maybe, like, have the ripple effect. But at the same time, like, I truly will never know what it's like not to be just who I am. I think as an artist, my responsibility through and through is to just be, like, to be that stepping stool to use my hands to let other people climb the ladder i think yeah that's important and it it makes sense because i think a lot of people think that allyship is being loud and being overtly Mm -hmm. like stepping in front of rather than standing beside or behind um Mm -hmm. and i think that's more of what people need to know is that allyship isn't just being the forefront it's being the person they can fall back on or the people that they can fall back on how is it more productive to be an ally rather than you know what we're seeing now as a white person if i can't sit there and interrogate how i have internalized the racism that has existed around me then there's no way i can do anything to be of help the first two steps that you have to take are you have to learn to be a listener and you have to learn to question yourself like I think that's also like such a key part of self-awareness and deconstructing ego, which is something that I think needs to be more of a conversation, is that to be able to look at yourself without rose-colored glasses is to be able to see your own truth. And once you're able to see your own truth, it's so much easier to see other people's truth. It's so, it just is like, you're able to see like how a person exists in the world and that aids empathy more than anything, anything. And so I think questioning yourself and interrogating those inner, the, those, just the internalization of the things that you've been taught is so, so important and should be what you do before you ever get up on a stool with a bullhorn or before you ever post anything to Instagram. Like don't post a like little graphic if you haven't thought about what it means in pertinence to you. Like if you haven't thought about, wait, do I think like this? Has this sort of train of thought ever affected me? Like you just have to really like dig deep in your brain. And I understand that that is hard. And that's something that like with the internet and like having phones in our faces all of the time, like seeing little kids running around just iPads glued to their face. How do they know themselves? How? And so I think it's something that is way harder than it ever has been, but it's so much more important. It's so much more important. And I think it kind of breeds sort of the performative, like other people are posting this thing that has to do with something that I probably should care about and okay, I'll post it. Um, Cause I definitely yep. found myself doing that with certain things that I knew I needed to know more about before I posted, but felt like I should post because it was relevant at the time. Um, so I think that that's important to talk about as well, because you don't, you don't really know yourself until or know how to be an ally until you know how it affects you. Um, and that's just like having friends and people that belong to the community you're trying to advocate for. Um, so yeah, great. That's really important. Um, do you have hope for the future? I think we've talked about it a little bit, but do you have any sort of hope for change? Um, or do you look back at like Stonewall and you're like, well, we haven't come far enough. 
it's hard to picture the future. And that's something I think even just as a person who has just graduated college, like it's really hard to see what the rest of my life looks like, let alone what the rest of existence looks like. Like I've only really imagined up until this moment. Mm. And it has coincided with such like a shaking of the world and the shaking of like our existence. And so while it is, it is really, really hard to picture. Like I have no idea what's gonna happen. And I don't know how long this earth is gonna last, but I do know people with minds and hearts full of love. And I know people who wanna see change and I know that those people are not going to give up. And I know that I want to stand alongside those people and do everything that I can. And I think with enough of those people, change can happen. And so hope is a hard word for me to use, I think, just because it, it feels like a pining almost when it, I want to like be demanding. It's like, I don't want to hope for the future. I want to demand a better future. Like I want I want to be able to say without a doubt that my grandchildren, if I'm to have them, will be able to walk the earth equal and with happiness and with no worry that their earth is not going to exist or that fires are going to take them out at any second. Like, I want that to be a sure future. And I think the only way we're going to see that is if we, if we talk to each other and see who those people are who have that love in their hearts and to stand with those people. What, I know pride hasn't been the forefront of, you know, the past year, there's been coronavirus and everything. What has been sort of, and if you can relate it to the subject, that's great. If not, it's totally fine. Um, what has been like the hardest thing for you in the past year, personally and professionally? And then how do you think that if that or if something else will kind of propel you to your future, especially with you graduating and things like that. What, what are you taking with you from here on that you probably wouldn't have had regardless? The one thing I just, I really want people our age to think about and to know is that it is good to question. It is so good to be curious because curious leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to conversations. Like the, what truly will push us towards a future that is worth living in is going to be is going to be a future where where we are able to be curious and to be able to question and not have fear of backlash from those questions and instead to have conversations that root in those questions and that push us and make us all grow perfect well i had so much fun talking to you and we'll we'll probably talk again um <laughs> But I have a, you just brought up something that I wanted to say. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it feels like you've read it. And if you haven't read it, I feel like you should. There's uh -huh. this called A Curious Mind by Brian, Brian Manser, Brian. He did Splash with Disney a long time ago with Tom uh -huh. and um, he continues pr to produce, but he does this thing. The book is called A Curious Mind, but he does this thing that he's done for years. And I think this kind of inspired this project for me as well where he will sit down with people that he knows nothing about their career. He knows nothing about things that he sees them doing. And he will ask mm -hmm. them questions that probably make no sense for the rest of his life that he will never, like he sat down with like alligator wranglers or um, people that work in aquariums, which mm -hmm. 
question, one question from an, uh, an aquarium conversation he had led to Splash many years ago. And like, wow. I would really enjoy that book because he talks about how just being wow. curious has, has planned his whole life without him even knowing it. And I think that you would really enjoy that book. I bought it a long time ago, just randomly walked into Books a Million. It was $2 and I was like, sure. And it's changed my entire life. Um, I will be getting that book. It's insane how he talks about every single, he remembers every question that he's asked that has led to a multi-million dollar movie he's made. And I just think that's so interesting. Um, I think you would love that book. Um, Thank you so much. Great. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye.